Hi, Pastor John here, thanking you for joining us today. We wind up our series on the Christmas angels this morning with the miracle as we see the visitation of Mary by Gabriel. We all want to see a miracle, don't we? Well, perhaps we see one every day. Let's see if there are any answers in our passage today. I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 2, chapter 1. I know where I am. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 38 this morning. Let me read this passage for you. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, I love a miracle. I love, I love when God moves supernaturally. Levi and I were talking this morning. We were talking about God suspending the laws of nature and physics to do the things he wants to do. And there was a song out uh, sometime in the 80s or so by a group called Mike and the Mechanics. Anybody remember All I Need is a Miracle? You know, I was just saved, and I was trying to appropriate the songs that I was familiar with into my faith. And I thought, all I need is a miracle. And, and I thought, that's all I need. All I need to do is see a miracle. Well, you know, eventually I found out that, that there are miracles all around us. And that it doesn't have to be something stupendous. It doesn't have to be entertaining. It doesn't have to be thrilling to me. I just need to recognize that God's sometimes on the move. And I want to tell you today that miracles happen every day. They happen every day. They're more common than we think. Now, we're going to see that in our passage. We're talking about the angels of Christmas. This is part three. We're going to finish up part four tonight. Um, We've been looking at the angels of Christmas. Um, And angels, you know, were kind of taken for granted by the Jews. Um, They they never really developed uh, a theology. How how did angels fit into our concept of who God is until sometime around the third or fourth century? Uh, And they just kind of accepted them up until then as part of creation. They were like, wow, angels. They were, okay, angels. Uh, So there are things that we believe about angels 
that we need to be careful of. Um, so, you know, I've been accused of dismantling Christmas. I'm going to do it again. There, there, there are things that we believe about angels that really, really don't show up in Scripture. Some folks may be surprised to hear that as far as we can determine, angels don't have wings. What? They don't have wings. The notion of angels' wings first began in church art somewhere around the 4th or 5th century. Furthermore, angels don't look like babies. They don't shoot arrows into our hearts. Actually, the Bible describes three types of created heavenly beings. There are cherubs. They kind of might maybe look like a baby, but I'm going to tell you something. They are weird. They're, 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 their job is to guard holy places, uh, like the entrance of the Garden of Eden. They, they serve God. Their likeness was woven into the veil that was made to go between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the, the, the temple. And they have, watch this, they have four faces. One of them is human, and they have human-looking hands. They have legs and feet of a calf. They were straight and had hooves. And they had four wings, two that reach upward and two that cover their bodies. You want to look at that? You can see it in Ezekiel chapter 1. Then there are the seraphim. Seraphim in Isaiah 6. They have six wings, three pairs of wings. And they're full of eyes all around and within. When you go home, look up images of seraphim and you see some of the weirdness that's out there. Okay? But somebody's trying to explain what these things look like. Um, and you read about them in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. And they seem to be involved in praising God constantly. Holy, holy, holy. Before the, form, the, the, before the throne in Isaiah 6 and in Revelation. And they're, they're involved in some kind of process of purification. A seraphim is the one that holds the coal to Isaiah's lips. Then there are the messenger angels. Now, these are the guys that, that we think of when we think of angels. And they're commonly known as, as angel messengers. And they look a lot like human beings, more so than you would think. Because in Scripture, they're frequently seen as humans, and they don't have wings. They don't have feathers. You know, that, that, that notion came from from uh, the idea that angels are frequently seen in the sky. And the reasoning somewhere around the 4th or 5th century was, well, if they're in the sky, they must fly. If they fly, they must have wings, right? And if they've got wings, well, the wings have to have feathers because you can't fly without wings and feathers, right? That's what everybody's thinking. So I went looking for a picture of angels without wings, and there are almost none of them, but, but I found one. And, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. How did I get up there? <laughs> yeah. She is an angel. <laughs> I did find this painting by a 17th century Italian artist depicting the three angels who, uh, vi who visited Abraham in Genesis chapter 21. And the painting's relatively accurate. If you take a look at the, at the painting without knowing the context, you don't know if there are any angels in the painting. Who are these people? Okay, try and figure out who the angels are. The same thing happens to Lot in Genesis chapter 19. He's visited by two angels, uh, and we don't find out that they're angels until late in the passage. 
So from what we can determine about Scripture, angels look a lot like you and me. Maybe more like you than me, but angels look a lot like us. No one ever says, hey, you must be an angel. Look at those wings you got there. It doesn't happen in Scripture. It doesn't happen in reality. So, so far, we've met one of these angels by name, Gabriel. Uh, tradition tells us that he was the archangel, but Scripture doesn't say that either. But he obviously has some authority. Obviously, God is trusting him with an incredible message, special assignments. He visited Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. We learned from Zechariah that silence can be a blessing in its own way. We learned another lesson of silence from Joseph. Uh, an angel visits Joseph. Uh, he, re- he received visitations in four dreams, and he never spoke a word. All Joseph did was listen to the angel. He only obeyed, and in his silence, he taught us volumes about faith and trust in God. And th- so this week, we're going to take a look at Mary's visitation. Mary, see how the mother of our Lord dealt with her angelic vision. Uh, our sermon today is called The Miracle. So Mary's visitation rolls out in three parts. Uh, we will see the messenger uh, in Luke, uh, verses, Luke 1, chap, uh, verses 26 through 28. We'll see the message in verses 29 through 33. And th- then we'll see the, the mystery in 34 through 35. And then we'll see the miracle after that. So the messenger. Let's take a look at this messenger in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, so we heard about Gabriel in Zechariah's story, uh, where he told Zechariah, I stand in the presence of God. So the one thing we know about Gabriel is that when he shows up, he has a message direct from God. Gabriel comes not to Jerusalem, not to Rome, not to some bustling trade center. He's not on a major route. He comes to Nazareth. So look where Nazareth was and is at this point. Here is, is Israel. Uh, that's Jerusalem and the little red down at the bottom. Uh, and up at the top is Nazareth. It's about 80 miles north of Jerusalem. Um, you'd have to take a, uh, a jagged way to get down to, to Jerusalem from there, but it's about 80 miles due north. It was an ancient town. And Nazareth was uh, officially... Uh, uh, populated well before the 8th century BC. Uh, it, it, it was abandoned when the Assyrians carried away the northern tribes. You can read about that in 2 Kings, 1 Chronicle 5. Uh, it was repopulated sometime around the 2nd century BC. It had no real strategic value. I, I mean, it, it, just, it was just kind of there. Very small population, maybe as many as 200 people in the 1st century. It's not mentioned in any Roman literature. The only thing we know about Nazareth is what we see in the scriptures here. It's not even mentioned by the great Jewish historian Josephus. Samaritans were suspicious of the Nazarenes. Galileans just didn't like them. They lived on the border. It was out of the way. It was as far out of the way as a town can possibly get. And God chose this place to make his most crucial announcement in all the history of mankind. And so we see in verse 27 that he makes it to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, a young girl, a teenager. No real experience in life. 
just getting started, living in a backwater town. Her name means troubled, bitter. No indication that, he is, that she is either troubled or bitter, not yet. And Gabriel shows up. She knows who he is. She read about him in Daniel, where Gabriel explains Daniel's visions to him so he can explain them to the king. And now this, this archangel is standing in front of this young girl. Verse 28, and he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And he starts out gently, but he's very explicit about what he wants to share with her. There's no reason to fear. God is with her. She is favored. This is probably good news. But still, I can imagine Mary standing there trying to absorb all this. She's awestruck at the presence of this angel, this Gabriel, uh, a messenger that she knows is directly from God. I can see her looking around her, seeing her town, her family, and trying to figure out just what's going on. This message has to be something big, and it may be, it may be that the message is just a little bit too big for this young girl. Let's take a look at what the message is, starting in verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, there's a whole lot going on here. For one thing, there are certain sects in Judaism that held that angels only spoke to men. Not all of them believed that, but a lot of them did, and particularly up in the northern area. It, it may be Mary's perplexed at why the angel's talking to her instead of Joseph or maybe her father. The other factor here is that Mary may be dealing with an angel showing up to her here in Nazareth and telling her she's favored. The reality of the fact is she probably didn't feel very favored at that moment. She's of a marginalized gender, living in, amongst a marginalized people in a marginalized town, in a marginalized region. It could be that Mary's just saying, I go, me? Favored? you got to be kidding me. Mary's a little disturbed and a lot stirred up. Her mind's probably running a million miles an hour. What can this mean? Why me? Where is all this going? What's happening in my life? And she doesn't have to wait too long for answers. In verse 30, it says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, he kind of repeats himself here. And the second promise and, and encouragement from this angel that this young girl is not mistaken. This is really happening to her. She heard it right. She's found favor with God. Now notice a couple things, because we heard from Zacharias that he was righteous. We hear, heard from Joseph that he was righteous. No mention of Mary being righteous. Not saying she's not. It just, it's not brought up. There's no reason given for this favor. There's nothing that she's done. There's certainly nothing that she is. There's nothing about where she lives or who she knows, nothing for her to have earned the favor of her creator. The word for favor here is the same word that we see 
Paul used in Ephesians 1, 6. Let me read 5 and 6 for you. He, God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed. Now, the word for blessed has the same derivation of the word for favor back in Luke chapter 1. The idea of the word favor is for Mary to understand that God has bestowed upon her grace. Grace. Mary's favored for no other reason than God has chosen her to receive his grace. She hasn't earned it. God's favor is a gift of grace. This is the pure, unfettered essence of what grace is, given solely by the giver with no regard for the recipient. God gives grace because he's God, not because any of us are worthy of the grace. So so what does this favor, this grace, look like in Mary's life? Well, verse 31 here it comes and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus now if Mary's mind is working as fast as I think it is right now she's going oh boy we're gonna have a baby I can hardly wait for the marriage celebration and to start our family and this sounds fantastic but it also sounds like a passage in Isaiah chapter 7 Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Mary would know this, and maybe when this initial excitement gets over for a moment, she begins thinking about this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So, Isaiah, back in the 8th century BC, the name is Emmanuel, God is with us with Mary standing in front of Gabriel in Nazareth in the first century. The name Jesus means my salvation. It means Savior. And I'm thinking that by now, Mary has given her full attention to Gabriel. And there's more. Not just, not, not just Savior, Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel's message is this, Mary, the Messiah is coming and he's coming in and through you. Whoa. Well, Mary sees a little bit of a mystery here. And she's vocal about it. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, this isn't doubt. This is Mary trying to absorb what has just been told to her, trying to process what she has just heard and what she knows to be real. She's not like Zachariah who tried to explain to Gabriel why God's plan wasn't going to work in his life. It's Mary looking in wide-eyed wonder and saying, how's that going to happen? Gabriel patiently, graciously explains to this young girl, verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Now, the, the overshadow means to cast a shadow upon. And we need to understand what, exactly what's happening here because I've heard all sorts of crazy stuff about this. Okay? This isn't carnal. There's no physicality involved in this. All this is going to happen, listen, by the power and by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. It's going to be a miracle. And as amazing as that sounds, that's not all. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. This kind of redefines Messiah as far as they understand what the Messiah is. There it is. No question about what's happening. No doubt about the identity of the baby. Gabriel leaves no room for doubt, neither in Mary nor in us. This is as clear as it could be. The baby is going to be holy. The Greek word here is agion, consecrated from birth, set apart, pure, clean, perfect, sacred. He will be what 2,000 years of sacrifices, ceremonial cleansings, works, offerings, and priests could not produce. A holy human being, perfect in every way, and the only human being ever to be worthy and capable of being called the Son of God. There is no mystery here. It may be difficult for us to understand. It may be hard to absorb. It may be hard to comprehend, but there's no mystery. Mary says, how? Gabriel says, don't worry about that. God's going to make it happen. Sounds to me like a miracle, doesn't it? Mary may still be having a hard time absorbing this, so Gabriel further encourages her. He says this. Now, here's where a miracle that Mary can absorb exists. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, it, I mean, that situation is kind of easy to take for granted by now, right? Uh, I mean, it, it's Elizabeth. It, it's not the Messiah. But think, think about the impact that this is going to have on Mary, who's just trying to process all this. God is already working a miracle in one of her close relatives, creating life where life was believed to be impossible, Defying logic, defying reason, defining any, any stereotype, any preconceptions that people may have, uh, defying medical and scientific reality. The only way you can describe what God is doing is it, it, it's a miracle. It might be just what Mary needs as she exits this meeting, a, a verifiable fact that will assure her that what she has heard is true. And it's going to occur in her. It can actually happen. Indeed, Gabriel says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, we're going to be careful with this. It's kind of like I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean that we can get whatever we want, that whatever we ask we're going to get. What this refers to is that Mary's just been given a promise. 
This is what God is doing in you. And what Gabriel is saying is when God makes a promise, he fulfills them. As, as difficult as it may sound, as impossible as it may sound, God is going to do this. This comforts and emboldens Mary. And regardless of what her situation is, she's still processing the impact it's going to have on Joseph, on her family, on her village. It gives her some comfort. So regardless of her circumstances, she says in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's humble. She's obedient. She's ready to receive anything and everything that God has laid out in front of her. She places her trust. And we now know from the previous two angelic visits that she's placing her very life in God's hands, saying, have your way with me. So there's Mary's visitation. We saw the messenger. Pretty incredible. Angel, Gabriel, archangel, one who stands in the presence of God, bringing a message directly from him. I, I want one of those, don't you? I want an angel to come and go, hey, John, let me tell you what's going on. I want a message directly from God. Don't we already have that? I mean, Mary doesn't have the New Testament. <laughs> Mary needs an angelic visit. Doesn't the scripture tell us that God has said everything he's going to say in his son, Jesus Christ? Isn't that the same thing as a message direct from God, one we can read, one we can read over and over again and go back to, one we don't have to ponder and try and remember whether or not we got it right, one that God promises that by the, the presence and power of the Spirit, he will write upon our hearts. That's a good messenger. We saw the message, the, the this poor young girl is the first one to hear that the Messiah is coming in the flesh. In and through her. It's a message for all of us, isn't it? We have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. The Messiah is in and through us and has the same message for the world. The Son of God, the Savior of mankind. She's just the prototype. And then we saw this mystery. Mary wants to know how. That, we all have a little of that, don't we? We, we all want to know how it all works. What are the nuts and bolts of all these things we're reading here? Does it make sense? And if we allow ourselves to believe that it doesn't make sense, we run the risk of being like Zechariah. Oh, God, that doesn't make sense. Let me tell you why this can't happen. There are consequences for that. We need to strive to be like Mary. God's word is enough for her to trust in him with all the details. We can argue all day long about how we get saved and forget that we are. And we saw this miracle. God graciously provides assurance to Mary. The miracle Gabriel describes as indeed possible. As a matter of fact, it's already happening in Elizabeth. We say, I wish I could see a miracle. 
But God has given us the same gracious assurance. Even better in my, uh, in, in my opinion. Through the baby that's born to this young girl. God has blessed us and promised to transform us. To change us. To mold and shape us into his image. That transformation is called regeneration. Everything's new. Miracles happen every day, brothers and sisters. They happen in us. As we are drawn closer and closer to God, every time you open your Bible and go, oh, that means something to me, that is a miracle. Do you understand that? To people that are not saved, they read the Bible. It doesn't mean anything to them. They want to argue with God about it. And and we may have a hard time understanding it, I mean, Peter says, hey, some of the stuff Paul writes, I don't get it. I mean, that's Peter, right? That's us. We might not understand all of the nuts and bolts. We might sit there and go, how? But the change that is occurring in us is a miracle. We're being transformed from people that were dead to people that are alive. You see the significance of this announcement? Everything changes around the birth of this baby. Our understanding of who God is, it's not the opposite of what it was. It just comes in a greater clarity. Amen? The understanding of how he functions among his people. The spirit going from a, a force that has acted upon his people to a living member of the Trinity inside them. They're all miracles. They happen every day. God does indeed move in the miraculous. We had that conversation too, Levi. He heals people. He, he changes them. He causes them to grow. I'm good with that. But the real miracle that occurs is a transformation that occurs in us because this baby was born. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. Open our, the eyes of our heart, Father, that we might see you better that we might know you better. Father, that we might see the miracles that go on all around us, in particular in this season, Father, when the world's attention, regardless of where they are, is turned in some fashion towards you. Help us to see the depth of what this day means. Let us be vessels of your mercy and grace and proclaimers of your gospel. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would like to stand for a second? And bow your heads. Now may the power of the Holy Spirit rest upon you. May he equip you and enable you to do all those things that he has called you to do. And may each of you and myself be like Mary. Be willing to say, yes, Lord, have your way with me, whatever it is. May you be blessed by this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. 
Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.